it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kelly. Hi, welcome to the latest moments of the show. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. Uh, it was great hearing from everybody over the weekend. I was had a chance to go uh, right outside Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mun Hall to meet everybody there. On Saturday, we made our way over to Grand Rapids, Michigan, the beautiful town of Holland, Michigan. Uh, great to see 600, 700 people come out to see everybody in person. And then I'll go over to Wichita yesterday and found, found a way to avoid the weather and beat it uh, in from uh, the connection flight to Atlanta, uh, right over to uh, LaGuardia, and then back and ready to go today. So Matt Dolan's going to be with us. He wants to be the next senator from Ohio. He thinks that state is ready to make that seat red. We're going to talk about that. Uh, and we're going to take your calls. But uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. In fact, our colleagues at 538 have looked at the historical data and found that no presidential candidate in history has ever been this far ahead in the national polls as Trump is at this point in the cycle and gone on to lose the nomination. Jonathan Carl pointing out on ABC how formidable Trump looks so far. Uh, we'll talk about that. 2024, it's getting exciting. A new poll has Haley within 15 points in New Hampshire. And Trump opening up a huge gap in Iowa and nationally. And they're all beating Biden. Let's discuss it. Number two. Here's the bottom line. We do have unacceptably high levels of civilian casualties. We see very loose rules of engagement. Way looser than anything the United States would exercise. That is Senator Chris Van Hollen. He wants a big drawdown pullback by the Israelis. I say no. Do not stop. That's my message to Israel and the IDF. Despite the tragic deaths of the Israeli hostages this weekend, as the Biden administration flies in with their Secretary of Defense to tell Israel to wind it down. Number one. The time is now. The time for a national security package is now. In my district, it is pure chaos. And people are upset. They're upset because their lives have been turned upside down. People in this country are furious at this open border crisis. And I'm not kidding. He's 100 percent right. That is Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez at the border of Uvalde. That's what he represents. And it is totally broken. The border is it's not just me. It's not just you. How about three quarters of the entire American public who believe the border is in crisis and must be addressed? We bring you inside the talks that could mean a legit fix or at least temporary fix until we get a new president as the war efforts continue around the world from Ukraine to Taiwan to, of course, Israel. So let's take a look at the border. What we're talking about with that study is they ask people, uh, when it comes to the border, how do you view it? 79% said it's something that needs to be addressed and it's one of their top priorities. 79%. I think 35% said it's the number one crisis in America. And Donald, you can't say that that was the story with when Donald Trump was there. Right now, a Fox News poll said, what is the most important issues? Number one, the economy, as usual. Number two, is immigration the border. And you can't blame anybody else but Joe Biden for this. Now he refuses to go, refuses to address it, but now he has Democratic governors, like uh, the governor of Arizona, saying that the federal government has failed. You have the 
Democratic mayor of New York saying the failure of the federal government to enforce the border has inf- have overrun our city. They're now at a cost of $7 billion annually. Then you have Congressman uh, Aguilar. He is a Democrat who wants to be the next senator from Arizona. He says something's got to be done. And then you have Senator Fetterman, all Democrats who have come out and said this is a crisis. This is out of control. He said this, did Fetterman. It's a reasonable conversation about the border until somebody can say there's an explanation for what we do from what we can do with 270,000 people who are encountered on the border each month, not including the ones, of course, that we don't know about. To put that in reference, that is essentially the size of Pittsburgh, the second largest city in Pennsylvania. No joke. Katie Hobbs, same thing. Ruben Gallego says at a time of increasing arrivals to the border, the funding is crucial and the lack of transparency is unacceptable. These are normally Republican statements. They're not Republican statements anymore. Listen to Lindsey Graham, cut four. Ninety percent of the people (laughs) who claim asylum are denied. So the initial, they're coming here for economic opportunity and not fleeing oppression. Under international law, you're supposed to apply for asylum in the first, say, third country. Ninety, seventy percent of the people would be denied asylum under international law, but Biden chooses to ignore the law. This is not people running for their lives. They're running here because the, uh, the, the border is wide open. They think if they get here making a solemn claim, they never leave. Right. But what the crazy thing is, is that there are people on the left of Joe Biden that think he's already too tough on the border. Really? Seven million people here illegally? You have the number of people on the FBI most wanted list, wanted list, uh, criminal list, uh, not allowed in. They somehow come up. And we still let him in and listen to these two Democrats, Joaquin Castro and fellow uh, squad member, Congresswoman Jayapal. Cut one. I want to speak quickly to the Democrats in the Senate and others who are considering supporting this proposal. If you do so, you will be surrendering to right wing racism. And more than that, you will be enabling it. Really? Senate Democrats and the White House must not agree to these extreme demands. So some of those extreme demands sound like this. The first country you walk into when you walk out of yours, that's where you apply for citizenship here. You can't just come here because you want to. Uh, Number two, immediately return. Rapid return for people who come here illegally. If you do not fill out the app, if you do not reaffirm and go back on the asylum claims and restrict them, and if you don't go, if you do not get in and you try to come in anyway, you're immediately returned to your country. These planes got to be lined up and it's got to be constant and consistent. You have to finish the wall. You have to add more border patrol and you got to have more processing facilities, processing them through and then right out. Those are some of the things that are being discussed right now. But sadly, the White House just now decided to get involved. Listen to Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez. Cut five. I think it's a good start. I think uh, the devil's in the details. When you start talking about deportation flights, I I think, you know, are you talking about one flight? Are you talking about 20 flights? Are you talking about uh, deportating only from along the border? Are we talking in the interior as well? The credible fear standard, I think that's an area that that most people agree that we need to raise, and I think that's one. But are we going to add Border Patrol agents? If so, how many Border Patrol agents? And then the Senate is much different than the House. The Senate is going to have its battle getting to 60 votes. The House is going to have its battle getting to 218. And right now, it's only the Senate involved. The House has gone home. You heard my interview with Kevin McCarthy, the former speaker. He said, I never would have let my guys go home. 
So let's talk about what's happening with Israel. We saw the tragedy when three hostages either got loose, escaped, or got loose. They had a white flag in their hand, as Israel has reported, and the IDF still took them out. Even the one guy that survived, they ended up finishing him off. So white flag, no shirt, we're going towards the IDF, and they still get killed. Why? Because Hamas uses so many deceptive, uh, uh, cruel tactics in order to kill as many people as possible. We witnessed it on October 7th, and they are witnessing it on a daily basis. I want to hear their side of the story, but there's no doubt about it. There are innocent people being killed. But that, those, uh, that, uh, that ship has sailed after October 7th. When you get rocketed on a daily basis and get massacred in one single day, you cannot allow that to be your neighborhood. You cannot let that stand. And now we want to tell them to dial it back, finish it up, call it a day. That's not going to work. And I don't know what happens, but a two-state solution to what I have seen in my lifetime will never happen because the Palestinians do not want it. Hamas does not want it. They say they will keep on attacking. They found it 500 miles, and there could be up to 800 miles worth of sophisticated tunneling. I mean, in one, there's a huge garage door. You have a huge train inside underneath Gaza. One one of these tunnels went right to the border and to the other side of the border. So you can imagine what risk the Israelis were at on a daily basis, and they did not even know it. We got it. I think you have to back Israel. I don't care what you have to say publicly to the Arab world. You have to back Israel. you got to tell the allies to back Israel. Stop losing your nerve. The fact that we're going over there, and it's leaked to the New York Times, we're going to tell them to start winding it down, I think is wrong. Alan Dershowitz, a liberal Democrat, says this quickly. There's only one thing you can do. He says you got to finish him off. you got to, You cannot live anymore by, with Hamas. Alan Dershowitz also said he's 80s. In his 80s, said if I was 25 or even 35, I would be over there with a gun in my hand fighting. And that's pretty much the feeling in the country. They're torn. They're torn by the over 100 hostages that are there, and they're torn by the fact that they know the scope of the attack on the 7th. I thought Bill Maher had a brilliant monologue. He just put in perspective how little any all these protesters know about the conflict over there. Now, what idiots they are to take on the Palestinian cause on a knee-jerk reaction, or they're just being paid. Here's an excerpt from his monologue on HBO, and I just think he just nailed it. Cut 13. The Palestinian people should know your leaders and the useful idiots on college campuses who are their allies are not doing you any favors by keeping alive the river-to-the-sea myth. Here's the river. Here's the sea. Oh, I see. It means you get all of it. Not just the West Bank, which was basically the original U.N. partition deal you rejected because you wanted all of it and always have. And so you attacked and lost and attacked again and lost and attacked again and lost. If I give you the benefit of the doubt and say your plan for a completely Jewless Palestine isn't that all the Jews should die, what is the only other option? So evidently, Joe Biden says... Chris Kuhn says, if you don't accept the two-state option, uh, the the two-state solution, you're you're not the solution. Can anyone pick up their head, look around, understand the short-term history of this negotiation and how what an epic fail all of it was? And with Hamas in charge and able to survive, how bad this will be in a year or two? Now you have this next generation of Americans who come up and don't sympathize or don't understand the alliance with Israel. Where are they going to be? 
The ultimate goal has to be to dislodge Israel from the U.S. And so far, in some ways, they are succeeding. When you see all these demonstrations, many of these people getting paid against Israel. When we come back, I'll take your calls. Bottom of the hour, Matt Dolan, one 408 7669. We're going to look at this election. I'll go into a little bit deeper on 2024. So glad you're here. Busy day leading up to Christmas. Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Ro. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Not a single voter has voted yet, but with just four weeks until the Iowa caucuses and five weeks until the first primary votes are cast in New Hampshire, it looks like Donald Trump has an insurmountable lead, at least if you believe the polls. In fact, our colleagues at 538 have looked at the historical data and found that no presidential candidate in history has ever been this far ahead in the national polls as Trump is at this point in the cycle and gone on to lose the nomination. And people should feel good. If you're Donald Trump, I think his campaign's been tight. Uh, I think his team has been tight. But they jump on every single thing he says and want to immediately say, drumroll please, he's Hitler. Including over the weekend where the, one of the stories was his capacity crowd. The fun he was having on stage. But then when he talked about what was happening at the border, he used terms to describe what many people thought Hitler would say. What he's trying to say is they're not sending us their best. Everyone was upset by that. Then now they're saying that they're sending their prisoners. And he's talking about poison coming into our country. So he wasn't out there quoting Hitler. He says the poison mental institutions and prisons all over the world, not just in South America, are coming here. Not just three or four countries that we think about, but all over the world. So they announced that. They're coming to our country from Africa, from Asia, all over the world. Right away, all the questions go to Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, everybody else on what a racist Donald Trump is. And they, of course, Chris Christie believes that, so he'll jump all over it. Nikki Haley says this when she was getting berated about this. Cut 18. I mean, he's running on retribution. He wants to go out and he talks about annihilating his enemies and using the criminal justice system to do so. What, what, do, you, what do you think of that? You guys are exhausting. You're yeah. exhausting in your obsession with him. The thing is, the normal people aren't obsessed with Trump like you guys are. The normal people care about the fact that they can't afford things. They feel like their freedoms are being taken away. They think government's too big. I know y'all want to talk about every single word he says and every single tweet he does. That's exactly why we need a new generational leader. Because people don't want to hear about every word a person says or every tweet. They want to know how you fought for them that day. And they want to know how their life is going to be different. I, I, she's, she actually was being us. She's exhausted. And the other thing I would say is, too, is everyone shut off from you. When you, Jonathan Carl used to be somewhat reasonable, 
but he wrote this second book, and I know he wants to sell it, but he, it sounds like Liz Cheney. He used to be, well, Trump's got a good point. Look at the polls. But now he's Hitler. They were saying that this language is Hitler. Now, you add a couple of people, staffers of Ben Cardin, having gay sex in the, on the House floor, Senate floor. I think that's a pretty big story. But Donald Trump, in an hour-and-a-half speech in front of a capacity crowd, used the word poison to describe the amount of people from all different countries that are pouring through our borders, and that becomes your obsession. When Nikki Haley's like, listen, this is why I'm better. What about Trump? This is why what I would do. What about Trump? Why, what, what's going Why are you trailing Trump? Okay. Why are you tough on him? Listen, this is my campaign. You're telling me how to campaign against Donald Trump? She has an approach, and she knows what you and I know, that if you insult Donald Trump, his voters and supporters take it personal. That's no way to win over. If your objective is to get the nomination, you're not going to get the nomination that way. Here's Reince Priebus, cut 19. She's trying to walk a fine line between not being too much anti-Trump because the reality is Trump is sitting nationally at, you know, plus 50 in New Hampshire. He's about plus 30. So she has to figure out a way to prosecute her case in New Hampshire without alienating the rest of the country coming her way on Super Tuesday a few weeks after. The reality is, is that the Trump operation right now is making it very clear. If they win by plus 10 in Iowa, they're going to say we're the presumptive nominee. They're going to they're going to lay that groundwork. And then if they win New Hampshire by plus 10, they're going to demand to be declared the presumptive nominee. And the pressure on the party, if that was to happen, uh, I think would be just enormous. And I don't think they'd be able to withstand that. I don't understand. Reince Priebus used to run the party. Just don't give in. Donald Trump, I mean, since when? If Donald Trump's getting, you got to go play this out to get the threshold. Simple as that. Super Tuesday. Through Super Tuesday. We'll understand it. I understand he wants to go for the knockout, but what, what kind of pressure is the party under? Just say no. We're going to be we're running these primaries all the way through. So head-to-head, um, Nikki Haley in the latest poll in New Hampshire is only down by 15. Only in this election cycle, that's pretty significant. She's not going to win Iowa. It looks like Trump's got Iowa. If anyone's going to win Iowa besides Trump, it'll be DeSantis. And if Nikki Haley gets close and she uses that momentum, along with the Governor Sununu and some a lot of money pouring into New Hampshire, it might be close going into South Carolina. As Chris Sununu told us on Friday, he believes if people believe that Trump is inevitable, he'll be vulnerable. Right now, it looks like he's inevitable. But since when are we all married to the polls? Something interesting, too, that DeSantis said, a little Democratic talking point. So if Donald Trump loses, he's not going to say it was stolen. And do we want to go through that again? Sounds like Ron DeSantis knows that uh, Iowa is, is his Waterloo. If they don't win it or almost win it, they're done. And that's why he's going for the jugular. When we come back, Matt Dolan joins us. If the Republicans want the Senate, they need that seat. Can Matt Dolan deliver? We'll talk about it. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here, one 408 We'll get your calls in about 10 minutes. It's my privilege to bring on Matt Dolan. 
He is an Ohio State senator representing portions of the Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga County, as well as a candidate for the U.S. Senate. He wants to dethrone Sherrod Brown, and he wants to get the Republican nomination first. He's locked in a pretty tough battle with two others, uh, uh, Moreno as well as LaRose. They all are within percentages of each other and with percentage points right next to uh, Sherrod Brown. For the Republican Party, it means everything. It could mean the balance of power in the Senate. It's one of the seats they think they should be able to win as Ohio goes more and more red. Matt Dolan, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Matt, you didn't pick an easy primary to get through. What separates you? Well, the first thing that separates me uh, is I can beat Sherrod Brown, and every poll has shown that. I do come from the same county he comes from. Uh, I outperform President Trump in, in my own county which means I can get conservative Republican voters and the all-important independent voters. And look, Sherrod Brown only wins 16 of our 88 counties. So to beat Sherrod Brown, you better have a conservative record, which I do, that appeals to the independent voter, which I've proven I've done, and cut right into those 16 counties. That's how you beat Sherrod Brown. I'm the only one in this race that can do that. He, he, uh, Brown says he's a moderate. Do you have any proof of that? Well, it must be campaign season if Sherrod Brown is saying he's a moderate because my whole campaign since I've gotten in this is to go right after Sherrod Brown. There's Washington Sherrod Brown, which is not a moderate, which wants to pack the Supreme Court, wants to have D.C. estate, wants to have late-term abortion, wants to raise our taxes, wants to take away border security. That's Washington Sherrod Brown. Ohio Sherrod Brown comes back and talks like, like everyday Ohioans. He doesn't vote that way. He has never acted that way. So it's my job as the candidate to go right against, up against his record. And I think the difference is they'll see someone in me who has a conservative record. I've cut taxes, reduced regulation, expanded school choice. I've done the things Ohioans want. Uh, Sheriff Brown has never had a candidate like me. So when you look at your uh, state, the biggest surprise in the last cycle was abortion. It passed, uh, giving everyone the right to an abortion in Ohio significantly. Uh, yet it was your state is leaning more and more to the right. Uh, obviously, a Republican governor too. What did you learn from that? Well, you learn that uh, the independent voter in Ohio wants to restrict abortion, but they're willing to have a period of time in which abortion is allowed. Uh, and you know, my opponents all want a six-week ban on abortion. Uh, I have voted against that. I am for more of a 15-week abortion with exceptions, which reflects most of Ohioans. So I think you know, what we need to do is, is, as Republicans is say, look at all the things that I have done to help the pro-life movement. I have put money into crisis pregnancy centers. We've increased our, our right. adoption. Uh, and those are things that are also pro-life. So we have to be reasonable, even though it's an emotional decision, Reasonable, but also point to the fact that Republicans really are about children, about protecting children, whether it's in the womb or when they get born. We want to take care of them. So the one thing I did see in the latest poll is you do uh, trail Brown. Obviously, it's when the margin of error, uh, but you do trail him 47, 46. Uh, LaRose ties him. Uh, Moreno uh, loses by three and Mutchler loses by five. So you're going to be in a, a tough fight for the primary. When is it, and what separates you from LaRose? Well, first of all, the, the latest poll has a different outcome, uh, again, with me and Sherrod Brown, and has Frank LaRose dropping considerably against Sherrod Brown. The primary is March 19th, uh, and early voting starts February 20th, so it'll come quickly after the holiday. Look, 
on a pure political, Brian, I have the most cash on hand. I'm already up on broadcast TV. I'm on cable TV. Uh, I, I have a statewide network and infrastructure. Frank LaRose can't raise money. He's sitting on $500,000 for a statewide race. He says he's battle tested, yet he can't get the field staff. He can't get money. Uh, and if you look at his performance in 22, when Governor DeWine got 63% of the vote and won in some of those key 16 counties I talked about earlier, Frank lost against a nobody who put no campaign up against him. So the reality is, is you know, Frank is not capable of running in this primary and will suffer against Chair Brown. So there's two things, uh, the top two issues, according to the latest Fox survey, that people care most about the economy. Number two is immigration. Have you been following what's happening there? How is Ohio affected by illegal immigration? Have you seen it uh, in your cities like we have seen it here in New York? Uh, Brian, I have come out of the chute talking about immigration. My first commercial was on immigration or border security. It is impacts Ohioans every day. Brian, it's not just in the cities. When you travel rural Ohio, the amount of overdoses and deaths from fentanyl, the amount of uh, human trafficking that occurs on our interstate highways is, is a record pace. So it is in our cities, it is in our rural, that we, we do feel the impact. Again, Brian, that's why 23 county sheriffs have endorsed in this race. 19 have endorsed me because they understand I get it. Law and order is just not uh, a uh, slogan. It's what you have to work on. And they know in my days as a prosecutor, my days as a uh, state senator, I've worked with them. So it is real. I go right after, uh, right after Sheriff Brown. I use his own words against him. Uh, he thinks the border security is a far-right issue only. Again, that is Washington Sheriff Brown, and that's what people are going to find out about. And, Brian, you're right. The economy is still still number one. People feel insecure. I talk to small businesses all the time. They don't want to hire. They don't want to expand because they're, they feel very insecure in this uh, national economy. Uh, and, uh, you know, I want to repeat what I've been able to do in Ohio, in Washington, and that's cut taxes, reduce regulations, and create an economic growth environment. So, you know, how do you feel about I know the car industry uh, flourishes in Ohio, but if you do this, they continue to try to ban the uh, gas powered car. The they were going to be closing up a lot of plants, number one and number two, even a lot of dealerships, because when you think about how much these cars are going to cost after this late labor deal that the president just signed off on and went to bat for. Brian, it's, you're so right, but it's more than that. It's the, the entire supply chain, which Ohio businesses rely on, will be shut down. The government under Biden and Brown never should force uh, a market, and that's what they're doing. They are saying even though America is not ready, even though the consumer has decided they don't want to buy it at a high volume, the government is saying we're going to only provide this product for you, and we are, it's a disaster. And, and if it continues, you're going to see a lot of businesses shut down in Ohio, in Michigan, in the Midwest. Uh, so that, that's why it's just so important that we win the White House and we get the majority back, and it's going to come through Ohio, that the Republicans have the pen, that we set the agenda for America, and we actually execute on it, Brian. That's the key. We actually have to get it done. Yeah. The uh, By the way, you know, everyone goes on Joe – everyone's on mad at Joe Manchin and cinema on the left and the right for not going all the way or even bucking the system at all. I never heard – I never heard Sherrod Brown, who's a so-called moderate, or John Tester ever stand up and take on this president ever. Manchin's the one who took the slings and arrows. Whatever you think of him, uh, he's the only one, and along with cinema. But nobody else did that. 
Yep. Again, Brian, you're so right. Ninety-eight and a half percent, ninety-eight point five percent Brown votes with Biden, and some of those that point and a half is more recent, and it's some some uh, you know just procedural votes. So absolutely, he is a, he is a mouthpiece of the Biden agenda, and the Biden agenda is in securing America. We're not strong. We're not strong nationally. We're not strong within our within our, our borders, and we're not strong economically. Jared Brown has been shoulder to shoulder with Biden. That's why he's got to go. Uh, and lastly, Matt, where do you stand with Trump, Haley, DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, Chris Christie? Who would you like to see get the nomination? Yeah, so I've been consistent. I want a vigorous uh, primary debate because I think it's important that uh, Americans see that that Republicans uh, are serious about changing this country back to where we had it. Uh, and then I look forward to supporting whoever the nominee is going to be and, and campaign with them taking America back. What do you need from the RNC? Uh, has the RNC decided, for example, has Mitch McConnell got by any, behind any candidate? No, I think they're staying out of Ohio. Understood. Matt Dolan, a lot at stake for the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, and it's going to be a tough primary. you got some good opponents, uh, and uh, may the best man win. Matt Dolan, thank you so much. Thanks, Brian. And you can follow him at Dolan for Ohio. Uh, back in a moment with your calls, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have not told you yet the poll that is the Haley Camp happy. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. There's this ongoing debate right now on uh, when or if the Israelis should be urged to stop their operations in Gaza. And as brutal as it is, they have no choice. If people had just been paying attention to what's going on and noticed that Gaza was given away, and she should understand that, by Ariel Sharon, who uh, sadly went into a coma right after, and the Palestinians were allowed to take it over in parts of the West Bank, and then almost immediately rockets started hitting Israel, and then there was a sense that there could be elections and the Palestinian Authority could actually win the election, and then Hamas won, and then they all they did is spend the rest of their time fortifying their positions, digging up sophisticated tunnels, and then forge one of the greatest, most horrific attacks on any civil society you will ever see. And that happened October 7th. This is the response that has to eradicate Hamas. That means there's going to be some tough sledding. There's going to be some times when innocent people get killed. I understand that, and nobody likes that. That'll be avoided, unlike Hamas actually tries to target it. Many of you understand what I just said, and I didn't need to say it. For other people who say, what is going on in Gaza? Why is American, uh, why is American armaments been used? We are complicit. They do not understand what an alliance means, and they don't understand what a democracy is and how they were beginning to uh, foster relationships with just about every other Arab nation outside the Palestinians who are represented by Hamas. Nobody wants Hamas. Jordan King Hussein, the King Abdullah, does not want Hamas. Uh, Egypt doesn't want them. They look at them as a derivative of the Muslim Motherhood trying to oust their Egyptian government. Don't want Hamas. Don't want Palestinians. Don't want the Hamas. So why should the Israelis be forced to live next to a group that wants to destroy them and do the best they can on a daily basis? They won. They've been attacked. And they want to live a life in peace. They can't do it as long as Moss is out. And they have not finished them off yet. They're still discovering tunnels. So Bill Maher, who I find more and more uh, 
encouraging to make me think that Democrats and Republicans could go back to disagreeing on issues, not the worth of the country. Took some time and went over the brief history of how we got here and what Israel has to do now that we are here. Cut 12. The Palestinian people should know your leaders and the useful idiots on college campuses who are their allies are not doing you any favors by keeping alive the river to the sea myth. I mean, where do you think Israel is going? Spoiler alert, nowhere. It's one of the most powerful countries in the world with the $500 billion economy, the world's second largest tech sector after Silicon Valley and nuclear weapons. They're here. They like their bagel with a schmear. Get used to it. What's happening to Palestinians today is horrible, and not just in Gaza, in the West Bank, too. But wars end with negotiation, and what the media glosses over is it's hard to negotiate when the other side's bargaining position is you all die and disappear. I mean, the chant from the river to the sea? Yeah, let's look at the map. Here's the river, here's the sea. Oh, I see, it means you get all of it. Not just the West Bank, which was basically the original U.N. partition deal you rejected because you wanted all of it and always have, even though it's indisputably also the Jews' ancestral homeland. And so you attacked and lost and attacked again and lost and attacked again and lost. As my friend Dr. Phil says, how's that working for you? You understand what's going on? So what he's saying attacked, so the Balfour Declaration had the Israelis there. In 47, they gave them a portion of the area, the other portion of the Palestinians. They didn't want it, and they decided to attack instead with their Arab neighbors from all angles, and they lost. And then 67 attacked again, and they were blown away. 73, a surprise attack. The Israelis got off their back foot, got up, and destroyed them all again. We're about to finish them and created all these buffer zones, the Golan Heights, Sinai Peninsula, the Gaza Strip, because they wanted a buffer zone. They wanted to know if these guys are going to invade us, they can't be really literally at my front door on my porch. We're going to push them back so we can get a look at them. So after after Egypt decides to recognize them with Yasser, excuse me, with um, uh, in the in year during the uh, Carter administration, uh Anwar Sadat gets assassinated for that. But they got the Sinai Peninsula back. Golan Heights was basically annexed by the Israelis under with Trump allowing it. We'll see what happens. But that's a buffer zone for Syria. You see what a problem Syria is. Here's more from Bill Moore. Cut 14. Look at what Mexico used to own all the way up to the top of California. But no Mexican is out there chanting from the Rio Grande to Portland, Oregon, (laughs) because they chose a different path. They got real and built a country that's the world's 14th biggest economy now because they knew the United States wasn't going to give back Phoenix any more than Hamas will ever be in Tel Aviv. One of the leaders of Hamas says, save yourselves time and imaginary dreams. In a few years, Allah willing, you will have to discuss the situation in the region after Israel. I'm sorry, who's the one with imaginary dreams? If I give you the benefit of the doubt and say your plan for a completely Jewless Palestine isn't that all the Jews should die, what is the only other option? They move. You move all the Jews. You move all the Jews. And we do this with what? A fleet of trucks called Jew Hall? And to where are we moving this entire country? Texas? Sure, they have room, and I guess we could put the Wailing Wall on the border and kill two birds with one stone. (laughs) 
Boy, we can just get serious. So smart, so effective, so accurate. From a Democrat, liberal Democrat, who happens to be a Jewish American. So now Lloyd Austin is traveling to Israel after the disastrous uh, news that came out that the IDF killed three Israelis. They thought they were a Hamas, but they were escaped hostages. They were holding white flags in their hand and had no shirts on so they could see they weren't armed. And we wanted to survive. They went back and finished them. I don't understand it, what went wrong, but they were transparent about how wrong it was. And now there's a sense among the hostage families that there's got to be more careful and more negotiation. But according to Lloyd Austin, he says we are losing. They are losing their allies. And he is traveling and just arrived in Israel during Fox and Friends this morning. And he'll meet with officials and start talking about scaling back the war. That, to me, would be a huge mistake. You have to finish the job let them do what they do. Understand uh, the, Israel is always doing things unpopular, like surviving. And that bothers some people. But they have to somehow get the hostages back, but they have to wipe out Hamas. If you would see the sophistication of those tunnels and the weaponry and the millions of dollars that the world community has poured in, do you know they found millions of dollars in Israeli money, whatever the conversion is or whatever the currency is, I should say? Uh, in these schools, they're taking the money that's supposed to be for aid to pave the roads to help out the infrastructure, and they're keeping it to buy more guns. Would you put up with that metrics anymore? I know you wouldn't. Well, again, special thanks to everyone in Wichita, Kansas, KQAM, their great affiliate. Special thanks to everybody that came out in Mohall, Pennsylvania, outside Pittsburgh on Friday and on Saturday in beautiful Holland, Michigan. All to see and hear more about Teddy and Booker T, two American icons, blaze the path to racial equality, and have a great patriotic night. Keep it here. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. All right, a lot of pressure on me now. We're starting the final week until Christmas, and everyone is sprinting around. I know if you're in the Northeast, you're dealing with this uh, huge rainstorm. If you're at the airport, I can only imagine your frustration. This hour, we're going to be joined. Well, actually, we're going to do a simulcast on America's Newsroom. It'll be great. Michael Goodwin standing by with the New York Post. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. In fact, our colleagues at 538 have looked at the historical data and found that no presidential candidate in history has ever been this far ahead in the national polls as Trump is at this point in the cycle and gone on to lose the nomination. We'll see what the polls do these days. 2024. Wow, it's getting exciting. A new poll has Haley within 15 in New Hampshire and Trump opening up a huge gap in Iowa. Both are beating Biden. We'll discuss it. Number two. Here's the bottom line. We do have unacceptably high levels of civilian casualties. We see very loose rules of engagement, way looser than anything the United States would exercise. I don't know that, but Senator Chris Van Hollen feels he knows that. Do not stop now. That's my message to Israel and the IDF. Despite the tragic deaths of those Israeli hostages this weekend, as the Biden administration flies in their secretary of defense to tell the country to wind down the military operation, we'll discuss it. Number one. The time is now. The time for a national security package is now. In my district, it is pure chaos. And people are upset. They're upset because their lives have been turned upside down. People in this country are furious at this open border crisis. No doubt about it. Uh, Tony Gonzalez, a Republican 
from Texas. It's not just me. It's not just you. It's now three quarters of the entire American public who believe that the border is in crisis and must be addressed. We bring you inside those talks. But first, Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist. Uh, you can get him at mgoodwin underscore NY Post. Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. Well, right now, the Secretary of Defense is going over to basically tell, according to the New York Times, the prime minister to wind it down. I hope he doesn't listen. But we do have the leverage. We do have the weapons. Well, that's right. And uh, Israel, you know, cannot uh, cannot afford to be against America on the international stage. I mean, we are Israel's best friend, best ally. And if we uh, turn against them in this way, uh, then then they're out there on their own. And I think at long term, that may not matter in the short term, but in long term, I mean, for example, we vetoed the Security Council resolution demanding a ceasefire. Fire. The United States did. Um, so th- we're the only ones. I mean, even Great Britain voted present. Um, so I-, I think that relationship is a special relationship to, to both countries. And I agree with you. I, I think, however, that the this effort to squeeze Israel, to shut it down from finishing the job, is a big mistake. Because if Hamas remains in power, that will be a real uh, uh, you know, encouragement sign for the terrorist everywhere that you will pay a heavy price, but not the ultimate price uh, if you attack Israel. And I think that the uh, United States has no right to impose that condition on uh, on a sovereign nation, particularly one with Israel's history, with the neighborhood that it's in, and how far it has come. And this idea that the world sort of bleeds for the Palestinians. You know, the, the, the greatest uh, criticism is not coming from other Arab countries, by and large. I mean, the, the, the Saudis do not want the Hamas types running the Palestinian states uh, or the Palestinian territories. Uh, they don't want that. Jordan doesn't want that. Egypt doesn't want that. They don't like of course, this uh, bombardment of Gaza uh, at large. But neither do they want Hamas to survive in power. So Israel is stuck here between, yes, it's a horrible situation in Gaza for the civilians, but that's because the terrorists are hiding among them and using them as human shields. And if you let that fact dictate the outcome of the war, then that's an encouragement to the terrorists to hide among civilians. I mean, the lessons from shutting this down, I think, would be really bad for America in its own battle against terrorism, for Europe in its battle, and for the Arab states. Uh, Israel is doing the world a favor in trying to wipe out Hamas. Well, the one thing, how do you feel about about them not using precision weapons. 60% of their weapons only are the precision bombings. The rest were dumb bombs dropped. And how do you feel about what happened over the weekend with them killing their own hostages, killing the own Israeli hostages? Look, I mean, the hostage... uh deaths are, are clearly a tragedy, clearly in a horrible mistake uh, that the Israeli military owns up to. 
they didn't say, well, we need to do an investigation. They owned up to it immediately. So there's no defense of it, really. Uh, it was a mistake. It was a tragic mistake. Uh, but I think that also speaks to the conditions in Gaza. They, it's, This is not a, a battle between armies, national armies. Hamas is terrorist. They hide among the civilians. They pretend to be civilians. That's what, obviously, the Israeli troops thought was happening here, that these were disguised Hamas fighters who were looking to set up an ambush. I mean, you wouldn't think that normally in a war uh, between national armies, but that's not what this war is. Right. <laughs> and so, so <laughs> excuse me, in terms of the overall casualties, again, it, it, it is a tragedy, but it is war. And we don't know what the numbers are. It's amazing, Brian. You hear 15,000, 16,000. That's coming from the Gazan Health Ministry, which we know is controlled by Hamas. They don't even attempt to break out the terrorists from civilians. They act as though they're all civilians. We don't even know. We haven't seen one funeral. All we see is these ridiculous numbers from the Hamas Communications Division. Who right. pays attention to that? There, there are there's civilian deaths, no doubt about it. But that's never the intention. But listen to what some of the Democrats are saying. Here's Senator Chris Van Hollen over the weekend, of course, going after Netanyahu. Cut 10. This is a, a, a direct, uh, you know, response to, to President Biden calling for a two-state solution. Ultimately, is the only political uh, settlement uh, that's viable. Uh, and here's the thing uh, uh, about Prime Minister Netanyahu, he has continued to weaken the Palestinian Authority. This is the organization that recognized Israel's right to exist decades and decades ago. Instead of trying to find peace or at least preventing uh, the conditions on the ground from changing with additional settlements to allow a two-state solution, um, he, he has shut the door uh, on that effort. Uh, meanwhile, as you've seen, there have been lots of reports that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu actually supported Qatar's efforts to finance Hamas. So I don't know about that latter. I did know that I did find out that Hamas was set up. They had a communications division in Qatar because they needed some way to dialogue with them while not ever negotiating with them. But what about Senator Van Hollen making Netanyahu the bad guy, saying he doesn't want a two-state solution? Please tell me where Mahmoud Abbas has ever been somewhat reasonable since he took over for Yasser Arafat. Well, and, and, and Yasser Arafat is the magic word there. Uh, Arafat was around for the Oslo Accords, right? He was part of that. But they would never sign a document when they when they could have had a state. I mean, in 2000, Bill Clinton had them at, uh, uh, you know, in, in the United States, both sides, they were going to sign. I happened to be in Israel just before that. There was a lot of optimism on both sides. I went into the Palestinian territories, a lot of optimism. There was going to finally be a peace treaty that would lead to a to a Palestinian state. And the fact is, Arafat would never sign the document because the, he knew the minute he did, he was a dead man walking. He said that it. He would be assassinated by the radicals yeah. that, that are now the types now leading Hamas. So this idea that there was a glorious moment in the past where Israel could have had a settlement is simply not true. I want, various, right. various prime ministers offered a Palestinian state. 
And the answer was always no, because they are afraid. Mahmoud Abbas would never sign a document either, because he is afraid he will be killed. This is the, the, the law of the gun rules the Palestinians. I want you to hear what Lindsey Graham said about this, because he met with the Arab leaders who want to have a rapprochement with, uh, with Israel. Some already have. Cut 11. Here's what's changed after October the 7th. Israel will demand security buffers they've never demanded before because they can't afford another October the 7th. And to my friends in Israel, you do whatever you think is best for the state of Israel. But I can tell you, Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries cannot normalize with Israel if they've seen, if they're having been seen as throwing the Palestinians under the bus. We have two choices. Continue the death spiral or use October 7th as a catalyst for change. I think this, the Arabs are going to demand some form of two-state solution to recognize Israel. I think Israel's going to demand security buffers different than before, and they need to make those demands. I don't know how this ends, but I'll tell you this. If we don't get this right this time, we're talking about another generation of just tit-for-tat death. It's, it's, uh, it's a conversation people got to have, but I just don't know of a solution with the Palestinians living next to the Israelis. Do you? Well, and and that's the question. Who's going to govern this Palestinian state that's supposedly willing to live in peace with Israel? I mean, Brian, a poll came out over the weekend done by a Palestinian organization. Seventy-two percent of the combined respondents in uh, the West Bank and in Gaza favored what Hamas did on October 7th. Think of that. Seventy-two percent. Now, where is the partner for peace? Where, where is the population for peace that Israel can make a deal with? Who is it? Show it, because it doesn't, it has never existed. Yasser Arafat was a terrorist, and, and he also got rich, just as the Hamas terrorists are getting rich from all this international aid. They love it. They love not having the responsibility for governing, for building hospitals and schools, right? The Red Cross does the medical, the UNRWA. The U.N. agency does all the schools, and the Palestinian terrorists are free just to organize and plot against Israel. That's all they do. They don't have a real government. It's a gangster, it's a gangster group. And for the world to say, oh, you know, there could be a two-state solution, it sounds so nice. What are the borders? Who's in charge of the Gaza side? How do you deal with issues like security and trade and things? like that. I mean, there's no, there are no answers to these things. Everybody just wants to wash their hands, have Israel take one on the chin, and move on to the next issue. Meanwhile, over almost 100 attacks on our guys, we've answered back like five times. We're not allowed to hit back on the Houthi rebels. We have not really destroyed these militias that are easily gettable by us over uh, in Iraq. And we hit a few weapons depots over in Syria. So we look weak on every fashion. Please make a tough stand right now. And hopefully Secretary Austin does not do any demands and may only make suggestions. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. You got it. All right. I'll take your calls next. I see you up there from California and Washington. Uh, Also, in about 15 minutes after that, we're going to go on Fox News Channel and do a simulcast. The big question is, should I wear a jacket? I'm going to ask two people who never wear a jacket to work, Eric and Pete. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
I think if you're sitting in the White House right now, you're like, please, Hunter Biden, we know your dad loves you. Please stop talking in public. Um, this is not helpful to any of them for him to be out there. But at the same time, the president loves his son. That takes precedent over anything else. That is appealing. I'm thinking of the woman in your focus group who talked about family. He loves his son. He loves mm. his family. He's worried about his mental health. But, yes, the White House would like him to probably go away right now. And that's why I thought uh, instinctively who okayed that press conference because now it's leading every news service. CNN couldn't avoid it. MSNBC would love to have avoided it. Behind closed doors, you see the back of his head walk in. You see the transcript eventually come out. And then that would be the story. The story would move forward, and they would continue to ignore it. Instead, he went out there and talked about everything he went through, what was in his book, about his relationship with his dad. They're trying to kill me. I want to go public. I don't want to go public. Um um, you know, there is this is all uh, this is all trumped up by uh, by Donald Trump is behind this. This ends up being that story. And I totally agree with Jen Psaki. Number one, she wouldn't say it. She could know it right away. She know it. She knows that people inside that White House that she used to work with want Hunter Biden to go away. The other big story is the person financed, this guy Morris, who finances Hunter Biden's legal fees, flies him around, and I think puts him up in his Malibu apartment. Why? I don't get it. Just because you're a Democratic donor, you got to support a 53-year-old man and his family? What's going on there? They want to bring him in, and they say, well, he's got the holidays coming up. A lot of people are saying, well, the holidays are going away. Everyone's using that. He'll eventually be in. Alex, listening in California. Hey, Alex. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I just want to say that a large percentage of the voters who put Biden in office dislike Israel, and therefore Biden is just catering to them and going and sending a, an envoy to Israel to tell the Israelis to shut down their war operation. And this will then cause Mossad, which is uh, Israel's intelligence agency, to examine the risk of demographic change in the United States on the survival of Israel and will alter our relationship with that country. So this is actually the first significant international impact of American demographic change. Very interesting. Demographic or philosophical change. I don't think you I don't think it matters if you're Hispanic or Arabic or or British or it doesn't matter what your heritage is. I think Democrats, some people are just being brought up or being told in school that Israel's the bad guy, that they are the problem in this whole area. And by the way, if you are the Palestinian movement, if you are uh, Iran, this is what you want to do. You cannot move Israel if America supports it. So why don't you go in and change the mindset of a generation? Hopefully this is the wake-up call. That's what I think. Hank in Virginia Beach. Hank. Hey, guys. How you doing there, Brian? Merry Good. Christmas. Same to you. What's on your mind? The Houthis are a Shiite extremist organization, and they're definitely a proxy for Iran. And Saudi Arabia has been going against them for quite a while right now. My problem is with Biden when he went over there and called them, uh, what do they call them? Uh, you know, maybe he, when they there was a the gentleman that got chopped up. I forgot his name. Danny Pearl. He called Saudi. No, no, no. The other gentleman. He was. Uh, oh, Khashoggi. He was, yeah. So then he went over there and he called them a pariah. So it seems like he's insulting our friends, and then he's backing up the people that we want to get rid of. 
at the very I mean, Hank, it just backs up. His instincts are terrible. He said, my problem, the problem in the Middle East is Iran, so let's be friends with them. Iran says, really? Great. Can I trade some oil? Fantastic. Uh, would you lift the sanctions? Great. Could you want to put take the pressure off Europe to lift their sanctions? Oh, fantastic. So what I'm going to do with that? Build up Hamas, build up Hezbollah, build up Islamic Jihad, fortify the Houthis, and next thing you know, the neighbors of Iran say, America's lost their minds. It's time for us to reapproach or revisit our relationship with Iran. At the very least, admit they were wrong. That would make me feel better, Hank. So far, there's been uh, attacks over the weekend. Um, There's been 46 attacks from Iraq, 52 attacks from Syria, uh, 98 times total since the U.S. coalition forces went over there to send a message of support to Israel. And we barely answer back, knock the missiles out of the sky, and we sit there like sitting ducks. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. So welcome back, everybody. Over the weekend, a lot of people, I had a chance to go to uh, Holland, Michigan, to talk about Teddy and Booker T. But I did a whole show uh, along with uh, my good friends, Pat O'Rourke and Rick Thatcher, MC, and doing skits and reenacting great moments in history. I had a great time. Uh, and then we went over to, uh, that was a Saturday. On Friday, I was uh, just outside Pittsburgh, in Mohall, Pennsylvania. And then after the show, like after we do the show and I talk about the history, talk about, uh, do the motivational, inspirational, I hope, uh, thoughts and talk about how great our country is in a, in a historical perspective, in a factual perspective, but it's a fun day. I always open up the phones. What did I say? Open up the phones. I open up to the audience. We put up the lights and I just take your questions for about a half hour. And everything, a lot of questions about Hunter Biden. For example, his calling his press conference the other day. And, and last block, I, we played Jen Psaki coming out saying the White House just wants him to quiet down. Go away. We have an election to win. And then Hunter Biden making himself the victim, coming out and saying that you just want to uh, kill me so my father dies. If something happens to me, my father will die. Just saying the most ridiculous things possible. But also the links to his dad are impossible to skirt by. And the investigation is already produced. A lot of evidence that the whole Biden family is involved. And you have to suspend all logic to think that Joe doesn't know exactly what was going on. He was in and around almost every single deal. He was on Air Force Two when he did the China deal. He was in Ukraine. Uh, He was in Ukraine right after he did the Ukraine deal. He went and met in Washington with some of his business partners. But they want to just talk about the weather. James Comer says because of that, I was able to put to a vote. Speaker technically was. And ask people if you want a impeachment inquiry. This is not an impeachment. Can we continue the investigation with some teeth so people stop blowing off the subpoenas? Believe it or not, banks were being very cooperative. It's the shell companies that helped you to open up to all this. So here's James Comer just outlining with Trey Gowdy what's already been done and how disappointed, but yet not surprised he was by the Washington media. I told the D.C. media a week ago, I said, you all had an opportunity to be the next Woodward or Bernstein, but you've squandered that. 
I mean, the poll after poll shows an overwhelming majority of Americans agree that something's wrong here with Joe Biden. Seventy percent believe that he did something either illegal or unethical with his family. Uh, that's a pretty good percentage of Americans that are curious about this investigation. The, the Americans want the truth. They want to know, did this president sell access to our enemies around the world? Because it sure does appear that they did. I mean, we've already traced $24 million from bad people in bad countries that went into, into various fake companies, what I've been calling shell companies, of the Bidens, and they can't say what they did to receive the money. That should alarm every American. Inform every American. That's why I don't get when people come out and say the investigation hasn't made progress, Comer hasn't proven anything, where is the crime? They're building an investigation to expose exactly what the Bidens were up to, to let you know, not to put him in jail, but to let you know who you're voting for. I don't think there should be an impeachment. I mean, if something egregious happens, it emerges. But right now they're finding that his daughter didn't pay taxes. They're finding that Hunter Biden didn't pay taxes. The investigation is expanding to other investments. You got a guy paying $5 million to pay his back taxes I don't know anybody among who has family members that owe $5 million outside the unbelievably rich, the exceedingly rich, that would ever do that. Here's more from Comer. I went on Meet the Press last week, and I've watched Meet the Press my entire life. I've never seen a host attack me, you know, attack me for having the audacity to investigate. And then you look at what the Washington Post wrote and the New York Times after we voted unanimously to proceed with the impeachment inquiry, they said Republicans vote for impeachment inquiry despite no evidence of wrongdoing of Joe Biden. We've already produced five direct payments to Joe Biden where we traced the funds tray directly to influence peddling schemes. There's no question (laughs) Joe Biden received at least five payments that were derived from his family's influence peddling scheme. So that is uh, James Comer. Uh, I think he's done a really good job. Andy McCarthy came out and said he's done a really good job. Jonathan Turley did. Now, if you listen to Andy McCarthy, he doesn't walk around saying that Trump walks on water and that uh, Joe Biden is a genius or that Joe Biden's so evil uh, he he needs to be uh, jailed. No one says that. He goes the other way. And he says, just looking on the pure evidence-based situation— You have a lot to follow in an investigation. And so for people to say, where's the criminal enterprise here? Where isn't it? What doesn't make you more curious to see what he was up to? Already between 60 and 70 percent of the American people think that Joe Biden was involved in his son's business dealings. And nobody thinks it was on the up and up. You mix in the hookers and the crack and the horrible behavior with the out-of-wedlock child and refusing to accept the paternity of it and the father after that. You unwind who the Bidens really are. It's not Uncle Joe, this great guy that just wants to right the right ship and bring normalcy back to the White House. It's the guy that lied to you repeatedly, had nothing to do with my son's overseas business dealings. We never discussed any of that. 51 Intel agents has expressed this laptop as classic Russian disinformation, as opposed to my son's laptop with my deceased son's foundation bumper sticker on the cover. And you have a guy who basically is blind as a repair shop, a computer repair shop owner, who Hunter Biden dropped all the laptops off to. Now he's the bad guy. So if you're going to vote for Joe Biden next time, I think it's you get the complete character. Now, let's look at his opponent. 
Donald Trump. Is there anything that Donald Trump owns that you don't know about? Did you not know he owns a golf cart and uh, golf club in Scotland? You can vote for him or not. Does it bother you that he's got hotels in Turkey? Vote for him or not. Does it bother you that he dealt with Saudi Arabia before and he's looking to do business there? Vote for him or not. He's got a golf course in Westchester, New York. Buildings in New York City. I believe he still has one in Chicago. Whatever you think of Trump, that's it. He's going to do business. He was doing business here, doing business there. It's a private company. And then you try to sue him and say that he defrauded banks who, who never complained that they were defrauded. And insurance companies that never complained that they were defrauded. And contractors that never complained they were defrauded. So it's just important to know who you're voting for. And when it comes to Hunter Biden, they'll just go up to someone like Senator Grassley and say, did you find any evidence of wrongdoing with President Joe Biden? He goes, no, I haven't found anything impeachable yet. And then they say, see, Republicans just doing a revenge impeachment. And for people who are halfway paying attention, it might look like that. And if they just went right to impeachment, I'd feel the same way. And it would be slitting their own throats because if you go into impeachment right now without evidence, it fails and he gets stronger. Same way Bill Clinton got stronger, the same way to a degree Trump got stronger. Here's Andy McCarthy, cut 27. If this was a situation where felony evasion counts were warranted, there are three in the new indictment. And I just think the most interesting thing about it is that for all the attention on how Hunter spent his money, the salacious details of which I think uh, took up much of the media attention, the real issue in the case, the real issue for the country, is how the money was generated. And the interesting thing I find, Trey, reading the indictment, is you can't really tell the story of Hunter getting all this money and spending all this money without getting into why and how the money was generated by influence peddling. So why can't you be mature enough to understand that this is not about Hunter's addiction and hookers? These are horrible decisions made by a young guy with a lot of responsibility on his shoulders who had to deal with a lot of Drama early in his life, trauma and drama early in his life, I got it. But having said that, you're 53 years old. And still your family put all the uh, international business dealings on your shoulders along with your brother. But you want to discredit people like Tony Bobolinsky, the repair shop owner, or anybody else that came forward, Rudy Giuliani, on down. I mean, it's pretty bad character. And Abby Lowell, someone's paying him a lot of money. And he's actually working against his father now. On some level, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I know one, Dr. Drew. I think he's getting back at his family because the things that he did and what he keeps on saying while his dad prior tries to queue up a reelection team, it's pretty self-destructive, isn't it? In a matter of moments, we're going to go on FBN. We're going to go on America's Newsroom uh, with Bill Hemmer and Dana Perino. So they're coming in off of Fox News Alert. This is the... Uh, the defense secretary right now. Throughout this country, but Israel is full steam ahead in eliminating Hamas. So we want to share that with you. And Lloyd Austin, uh, Lloyd Austin rather makes a headline. We'll bring that to you coming up shortly here. Dana. Well, it's game over for crime-ridden cities as major sports teams announce plans to leave dangerous downtown streets in the nation's capital, driving their business and fan base to a Republican state instead. There must be something there, that something that they see in Virginia. We will be uh, a place that they can live and work and raise a family. You want your employees to be safe. Look, we are bringing two 
not one but two major league franchises at one time. That's never been done. Joining us live from his show on Fox News Radio is Brian Kilmeade. He's also the author of the book Teddy and Booker T, which is available now. And I hear such great things about it. I loved it, but everyone else is loving it, too. So, Brian, I know you follow sports and you follow cities. Here's D.C. Mayor Bowser last week on the loss of these two teams. Experience with crime is kind of a blip. Uh, it's a phenomenon, and we can look back over the, the last several years and see a lot of contributing factors. Um, but we will drive it, it down. But not in time to save these teams from leaving. What kind of a gut punch is this for that city? It's huge. And by the way, Bill and Hammer have some. Bill and Hammer and I have something else in common. We both started in sports and never lost our passion for it. Yeah. But I was fascinated by the sports business portion of it, and that mm-hmm. interests me the most. And when I saw these two teams lift themselves, it seemingly I know a lot can go wrong still uh, out and into Virginia. I thought that's a, a a moment for the city of D.C. to realize when you get when Washington. Uh, commander running backs get carjacked or others get shot, you realize when you take a sitting member of Congress and his car gets uh, carjacked, you realize nobody's safe. So if I'm with the Capitals and I'm trying to get free agents, if I'm trying to get fans and I'm with uh, the Wizards, why would I stay in that city when a suburban community in Northern Virginia wants me and they're willing to maybe split the difference? Ted Leonis has got a lot of money. I got it. But you can be part of that investment in the area. And then when you see what's happening, uh, guys, in, in the city of, uh, of Washington and see the mayor says, this is a blip. Are you kidding me? Yeah. We have watched this crime go out of control for the last six years. You've looked the other way and blamed Trump. Now you're facing it down and you're losing a team and you're saying this is temporary. Not when you defame and defund the cops. Yeah, yeah you know, this uh, the Northwest Quadrant of Washington, D.C., which we, we spent a lot of time there because of our jobs. It hasn't been the same since COVID. You know, then, then you had all the George Floyd protests and you set up Black Lives Matter and uh, that boulevard today and on and on and on. You remember that, uh, all those kids going through those stores, breaking the windows night after night after night. Uh, it's a really hard thing to recover from. This is Michael Berman. He owns a downtown holiday market, calls it a gut punch, takes the energy out of downtown. You lose a leg of the stool. It could fall over if you don't replace it. What's going to turn downtown around? Do they even have a vision? Now, the other side argues, don't use our tax dollars to pay for big time sports teams. Mm -hmm. I ask you this. When you lose them, how do you feel about it then? Yeah, and, and Bill, when you do that, you bring people in theory to the community if you do it right. And if you cut a good deal, you just don't sell your soul to a billionaire owner, you get part of that revenue that brings in concerts and the parking and part of the concessions. You figure in that becomes a source of revenue if you cut a good deal. My sense is Glenn Youngkin probably can cut the best deal in the country with his business background and win some Sears, too. So with their military background, so my sense they'll do it. And then I think about what's going on in San Francisco. When you got, uh, when you have the stars, the best player in sports, pound for pound during baseball, say I thought about going to San Francisco, but the city was so overrun with homeless and so out of control with crime, I end up going to Los Angeles. And when you lose the Oakland Raiders and the Oakland Athletics to Las Vegas simply because the city has no money to finance them. It is falling apart around them. They couldn't rebuild the place, and this made it, it's a hard place to go to. Nobody yeah. wants to go to the games. 
It's incredible. It's a big loss for D.C., and I, I think that the uh, holiday market owner's point is a good one. Where do you go from here? If they don't have a plan to replace that, all that redevelopment, was it for nothing because you didn't focus on the crime element? Mm -hmm. That's a shame. Right. Hey, uh, good luck with the book. Good to see you. And thanks hey, for coming on today. Nice to see okay. you guys. Yeah, I'll okay. see you in the yeah. hall. Thanks, Brian. Thank, Thank you. Brian. Appreciate Thank you, it. All right, uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'm up against a break. I want to have some uh, some time on the other side. We'll come back and take your calls and get your comments. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He deserves due process, as you know. But the facts remain that this family has been, has had the reputation for a long time of being for sale. We know the president's family's in trouble because the son continues to get indicted in multiple courts. And we have serious questions about our national security. So that's why we're doing this investigation. I think the American people are behind us 100%. But the media continues to attack me. They're here in my little town as we speak in, in Kentucky trying to dig up stuff. They're trying to say, I have a shell company. My LLC has a lot of assets. A shell company, by definition, has no assets or, or no purpose. But, I mean, they continue to just make stuff up. Not only are they attacking me, Trey, they're making stuff up to try to discredit me as an investigator. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And I see that in the New York Times, the headline, but then I realize there's nothing to it. He has other investments and he lent money to his brother or something like to that nature, and he paid him back. We don't know about this loan that Joe Biden evidently gave that was being repaid by his brother, Jim. I, I, are you guys doing your taxes? Does anyone here work freelancer in their own uh, uh, or in their own business? Do you know the detail you have to show to do that? Does it just drive you nuts that now Naomi Biden also didn't pay her taxes? We got money floating around between Jim and uh, and Hunter Biden, and no one's itemizing anything. Are you kidding? Just quick look. So remember, what I was mentioning before about Kevin Morris. So Kevin Morris has decided just to save Hunter Biden's butt and pay his taxes, house him in Malibu. I don't get why. And I think it's worth pursuing. Here is Congressman Jason Smith of Ways and Means. Cut 29. The IRS whistleblowers um, have highlighted where Kevin Morris paid almost $2 million of Hunter Biden's taxes, plus an additional almost $3 million just to subsidize Hunter Biden's lifestyle. What's also important is these IRS whistleblowers released an email from Kevin Morris to Hunter Biden's tax preparer three weeks before Super Tuesday in 2020, saying that they must pay these tax returns or there will be great political risk. The only political risk is Joe Biden. And that's exactly why the IRS whistleblowers wanted to look into campaign finance crimes into Joe Biden's campaign. But the Justice Department has refused to do that. Hey, why wouldn't you want the answer to that? Why wouldn't you want to know? You want to know if the, if the Bidens owe any country any favors? You want to know if this guy's got crazy investments that might compromise him in the future. And also, I'm a little curious about somebody who's able to lie with impunity. Lie with impunity. They always say, oh, Trump lies, Trump lies. Trump exaggerates. And Trump is not perfect. But please, can you even get close to the equal treatment? Close? 
high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks to everybody who came out over in beautiful Wichita, Kansas, as well as Mulhall, Pennsylvania. And then, of course, we started. Uh, we, we actually had Saturday night. Uh, we flew into Grand Rapids and then went to beautiful Holland, Michigan. I'm not kidding. I found out so much about this town. It's truly a Dutch town. The Tulip Festival it's known for. It looks like it's cut out. I mean, they should shoot a movie. Um, they should shoot a movie. I thought Fairhope. Alabama was idyllic, and it was, and it is. But Holland, Michigan, again, just a fantastic theater, fantastic people, and then have the chance to talk about Teddy and Booker T, uh, how two American icons place a path to American uh, uh, for racial equality, but then talk about everything. I think America wants to talk about patriotism again. I think we want to talk about our country, reinvigorate uh, our history. Uh, I get that sense, especially when I when I open up, we bring up the lights at the end of the show. And mostly you see a lot of people who want to learn more and, and want to feel great about our country again. Bob Cusack is coming on at the bottom of the hour. He's with the Hill We're watching a press conference going on between our secretary of defense and the minister of defense for Israel right now. They're talking about Hezbollah picking up the uh, the rockets into Israel proper and how 70,000 people have been displaced north and south because of Hamas rockets and because of Hezbollah rockets, let alone the people that have moved out of the of, of the town that was massacred on October 7th. So a lot going on. Before we get to Mike Rogers, an aspiring senator, uh, senator in Michigan, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. In fact, our colleagues at 538 have looked at the historical data and found that no presidential candidate in history has ever been this far ahead in the national polls as Trump is at this point in the cycle and gone on to lose the nomination. Jonathan Carl saying it like it is so far. 2024, it's getting exciting. A new poll has Haley within 15 points in New Hampshire, the first one since the governor endorsed her. This opened up, by the way, Donald Trump is surging nationally and in Iowa. We'll see if that pays off. We know DeSantis is Iowa or over, so we'll discuss it. Number two. Here's the bottom line. We do have unacceptably high levels of civilian casualties. We see very loose rules of engagement, way looser than anything the United States would exercise. So count Van Hollen, Chris Van Hollen, off the reservation. But don't stop, Israel. That's my message to the IDF. Despite the tragic deaths of three Israeli hostages this weekend, the Biden administration now flies into the country to tell them to stop and wind down the Israeli offensive. But they have no choice. They must continue. Number one. The time is now. The time for a national security package is now. In my district, it is pure chaos. And people are upset. They're upset because their lives have been turned upside down. People in this country are furious at this open border crisis. Uh, That is Congressman Tony Gonzalez, Republican at the border. It's not just me. It's not just you. It's now three quarters of the entire American public who believe the border is in crisis and must be addressed. And that's one of the reasons why Mike Rogers is running for Senate in Michigan. Uh, He's the former congressman on the on the House Select Committee, former FBI guy, military guy with a rich military background. Congressman, welcome back. Brian, it is always good to be back. I hope you got all your Christmas shopping done. Not close. <laughs> uh, not <laughs> you know close. Those, that's I, what those bins are at the at the you know the pharmacy stores. That's what those big bins are on Christmas Eve. You go in there and grab something. I'm gonna. I I, it's gonna be. A, I promise a productive week. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate you thinking I got it done. 
But, yeah. Mike, first off, i got to get your take. Right now our Minister of Defense is, and our Secretary of Defense and Minister of Defense is meeting. They're having a joint press conference. Uh, they were really concerned, I'm sure you were too, how three Israelis uh, prisoners, hostages, could have escaped, it looks like, uh, was shirtless, holding white flags, and still be killed. And they think there's just way too much rampant carnage in Gaza, and they want Israel to stop. I don't think they should. What do you, where do you stand? You know, first of all, it is an absolute tragedy that those uh, three hostages were killed. But remember, it's pretty easy from an antiseptic view 5,000 miles away saying, well, that, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, of course not. Uh, and we have to remember these people have been, you know, sniper uh, on the IDF in Gaza, sniper attacks and RPG attacks, and people are trying to kill them, and they're trying to lure them into traps, and they have booby traps everywhere. That's the decision-making matrix that these folks had to to uh, deal with uh, versus sitting in a nice, comfortable office back in Washington, D.C. And I think it's really important uh, to make that determination. Nobody wanted that to happen in the IDF or or the government of Israel or the families of Israel. Uh, And I don't believe it was some willy-nilly thing. I just think that stress of combat, fog of war, uh, you know, led to a tragedy on that particular day. But you're right. It's not helpful. Uh, you know, Tehran is using this disinformation campaign, getting people half, you know, across college campuses in America to believe that, uh, you know, anti-Semitism is the new uh, is, is the new cool thing. Uh, and that's really, really dangerous. And so when the administration starts pontificating outside of normal confidential conversations that should happen between two countries, uh, it's just not helpful. If they have a problem, fly there, talk to them about it, and fly home and say, hey, we support Israel. We want them to do the right thing. We want them to be concerned about civilians, and we continue to support them. Done. But this whole thing about about uh, making it more difficult to do what they already knew was going to be very, very difficult. And remember, Brian, Hamas publicly states that civilians are all a part of their plan. They They believe they're martyrs, and they believe that's part of their whole narrative. And so pretty hard to dismantle a group that's willing to use men, women, and children as, as shields, for sure. Congressman Mike Rogers with us now, wants to be the senator from Michigan. It's an open seat. Congressman, what are your thoughts when you see the detail of these tunnels and the expertise in which they were done? You can drive a tractor through them, a tunneling machine through some of these tunnels. It's unbelievable what we're seeing. They look like full subway systems in some circles. 400 miles have already been uncovered. They raided summer homes of Hamas officials, some of which one of one tunnel was underneath a baby carriage, a baby's crib. They found th- 30 tunnels. I always mispronounce this, uh, this city. Uh, Khan Yunus uh, over there yes, where, yeah. where most of Hamas is located. So they're finding all these things, and they're in there, but they cannot go halfway, or we'll be back here in 18 months. So what do you do knowing that there's also innocent people there that are hostage to Hamas? I mean, obviously, the, the, the Special Forces folks and the soldiers who are trained to deal in those in that type of environment need to use as much caution as they can and still understand that they have to uh, diminish and eliminate Hamas fighters. Uh, I mean, there's just no way around that. If you do not, they will be back. Uh, remember when we didn't do anything in 1993 when the uh, Al-Qaeda tried to blow up the World Trade Centers at the time? Uh, they drive, drove a truck into the basement and blew it up, and it didn't work. And we all went, well, that didn't work. They don't know what they're doing. Well, they came back and slaughtered 3,000 people nearly uh, on 9-11. 
And so what we have to remember is they will be back if we don't diminish their ability to do what they do, or excuse me, Israel does, uh, diminishes their ability to do what they do. And yes, it's difficult. It's hard. They were using all of that money. They were using, by the way, concrete and steel and other things that were donated to Gaza to try to uh, have a better life for, for the people of Gaza and Palestinians. And you know what they used them for? Building tunnels and defensive systems. And when they got it big enough, uh, they had the opportunity, they believed, uh, and they felt America was weak and, and uh, Iran had plenty of cash because we started allowing them to sell their oil some $30 billion worth. I mean, all of these things triggered to them saying, let's do it. And that's, and they're not even, they don't believe that 400 miles, Brian, is half of it. Think of that. It's not even half of it. And they're finding them under mosques and schools and all of this. Right. It's subterranean culture down there. I mean, they literally, they have this terror culture. And one of the hostages said this, they warned the, they warned the other IDF members, don't go down into the tunnels. They said this, one of the hostages who has since been released, every passing day is terrifying. You have no idea what kind of monsters we're dealing with. If they're feeling threatened, they will use the captives. Don't go into the tunnels. They're moving around in there in vast numbers. It's a colossal danger to soldiers and to hostages. I, I don't know if there's a choice, but they're thinking about flooding them, literally to, to actually flood them out and force them out. It is an insane environment. Uh, but I do want to get from you how you're handling Michigan, because t- t- Joe Biden's losing popularity in Michigan among the Arab Muslim culture because of his support for Israel. But a guy like you, Mike, you support Israel uh, more than President Biden or just as much. Is there a way to let that be known and still collect some of the votes that Democrats are losing? Uh, oh, absolutely. I think there is, uh, you know, the Muslim community in Michigan tends to be entrepreneurial. Uh, and that's an opportunity for Republicans. If you want to be a, a small business owner and better the life of your you and your family, and listen, will it attract all of them? No. But we think that, you know, the conversations we're having in the Muslim community in Michigan can be fruitful. Are they happy with my uh, uh, differentiating Hamas terrorists from Palestinians, which I do, two different groups? We're having those conversations now. Uh, I think that there's an opportunity for us. And again, we don't have to get 80% of them. We just have to get a share of them uh, to get us over over the top. And uh, I think that's happening. I think you're going to see a lot of Muslims just stay home uh, in the in the next election in Michigan uh, because of the you know Biden's approach. And, and again, they're all over the map, right? They're they're for uh, you know Israel going after Hamas, but they publicly state you know things that probably aren't in Israel's interests. So they've managed to kind of honk off everybody. Uh, in something that is, to me, is very clear. You're either for, uh, you know, for Hamas terrorists or you're against them, uh, and you can still be for the Palestinians. And I think uh, that's the conversations we're having, Brian, and we're we're finding it fruitful because, again, you know, cultural issues and and the fact that their education system uh, in America is graduating kids. Fifty-seven percent of our high school seniors last year couldn't read at the sixth grade level. You don't come to America to have substandard schools uh, and no opportunity uh, to do something better by opening up in your own business and being a leader in your community. And so those are the messages that we're talking about. And they understand, the Muslim community in Michigan understands, hey, listen, the Democrats have really 
not been good for them, their families, or their future. And we're, we're talking just like that. What are you going to do differently? We're talking to Mike Rogers, who's running for the Senate. Michigan's going to get the nomination. Uh, already, Mitch McConnell's already uh, fully in support of you. What are you going to no. do different than John James did? What did John James do wrong? Now he's a congressman, but he, he ran for the Senate, ran for governor. What are you going to do different? What did you learn? So uh, how you deploy capital is important. And I thought John was a great candidate, did, did uh, really good across the state. Last election, down, lost by like a point and a half. Um, we believe that our issue sets line up better in this election cycle, number one. Number two, how we communicate to folks. So we're going to do a lot of data modeling. We're going to find out uh, how people get their news. Think of this, almost 20 percent of, uh, of the electorate will not see a TV ad. Uh, that's huge, right? That's a change, a fundamental change. Uh, and the other thing is, I think there was a little more reliance on the state party on a ground game. Uh, and we're going to bring all of that inside of the campaign. So we're going to have a ground game, voter influence, voter contact, all of that ballot chase is all going to happen inside of our campaign. And that really was, uh, I think will be a big difference for us going into this election cycle. And, uh, you know, the good news is I think the Democrats here are just really, really nervous. Uh, they've already tried to spend money in a Republican primary. The Democrats have. Uh, and, uh, and by the way, it's not on my behalf, right? So they're, they're definitely afraid I'm going to get out of this primary uh, and win the election in November. And that's why the National Republican Senate Committee has said, yep, you're the guy. That's why today we announced over two dozen county sheriffs across the state who have stood up and said Mike Rogers is the guy to win this thing. The Police Officers Association of Michigan uh, I mean, it's it is it's starting to gel. We had Joni Ernst from Iowa, and Katie Britt from Alabama, and Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia, all endorsing us. Uh, and we have our own uh, congressional delegation, Dean Tim Wahlberg's behind us, and lots of grassroots all across the state. So it's starting to gel, Brian. That's how we're going to do this. We're going to get started early. We're going to be organized. We're going to be in depth. And by the way, I'm going to get to your calls in just a second. My last question, just give us the timing. When's your primary? Uh, not till August of next year, but we can't wait. We're, we're going to build a, Nash, uh, a, a fall campaign all through this. Yes, we're going okay. to win the primary, but we've got to start now building that infrastructure, and that's exactly what we're doing. All right. Uh, I tell you the truth, uh, I'm going to admit my bias. If you were a Democrat, say the same thing. With a military background, with your known of intelligence, with your calmness under pressure, willingness to work with the other side, and the person that you are, you're the perfect person to be in Congress. I'd say the same thing in a different set, similar attributes with like a Harold Ford. These are the people yeah. because you care more about the country than you do fame and acclaim. And we're, we, yes. we lack that. Uh, a lot of people are, there are just looking for camera time. You're looking for efficiency and effectiveness. So, Mike yes, Rogers, sir. thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Uh, you, Rogersforsenate.com if you want to join the team. You got it. Uh, let's see if Michigan will respond for that uh, for a candidate of this quality. When we come back, I'll take your calls. I see you all around the country. one 408 Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I mean, he's running on retribution. He wants to go out and he talks about annihilating his enemies and using the criminal justice system to do so. What, what, do, you, what do you think of that? You guys are exhausting. You're yeah. exhausting in your obsession with him. The thing is, the normal people aren't obsessed with Trump like you guys are. 
The normal people care about the fact that they can't afford things. They feel like their freedoms are being taken away. They think government's too big. I know y'all want to talk about every single word he says and every single tweet he does. That's exactly why we need a new generational leader. Because people don't want to hear about every word a person says or every tweet. They want to know how you fought for them that day. And they want to know how their life is going to be different. I, I just, and if you watch the interview build, you see her frustration. Every question was about Trump. How, how will you see his rally? Look what he said. What's your reaction to it? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Can you please just ask me about me? Because you just want to get some headline about Nikki Haley going off or apologizing for. And it's maddening uh, for people that are out there talking to people. Because I talk to people, too. They're either for Trump or, for, or not. They're not talking about what he said lately. They know exactly what they're getting. Alex in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. Uh, I just wanted to say I, I think it's irresponsible of left, you know, wing media outlets that are focusing on the numbers of civilian casualties in Gaza, and they're they're mentioning you know, exactly what's going on over there, which is tragic. But I think they should stop doing that because it elicits sympathy for something that people shouldn't be sympath- sympathetic for right now. Because then people are like, stop the bombings. And, you know, during the World War II, we didn't have the media focusing on the deaths of the people in Germany, which was also tragic for the innocent civilians because we had to continue. And the facts don't change because someone gets emotional because people are dying. Israel needs to defend right, Alex, itself. Let me get a word in. This is what I think. Number one, I don't believe any casualty numbers because Hamas is giving it to us. And the Gaza communication is Hamas's communications division. So I don't believe it. Uh, are there some civilians who died? Yeah. But I do not believe the 18,000, not for a second. Number two is you got to report the news. I don't think you should soften the blow for anybody. I don't think you should decide what to do and what not to do. You report the news. But just remember in context why we're here. Because they want high casualties. The IDF looks to avoid high casualties. They want Hamas dead. They want the Palestinian, innocent Palestinians, to not be dead. Hamas targeted innocent Israelis. They have no interest in fighting Israel's army. Israel has every interest in fighting the Hamas terrorists and no interest in fighting the Palestinian people. That's the way you report the story, but give it context. Yes, context. Can you imagine? He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Not a single voter has voted yet, but with just four weeks until the Iowa caucuses and five weeks until the first primary votes are cast in New Hampshire, it looks like Donald Trump has an insurmountable lead, at least if you believe the polls. In fact, our colleagues at 538 have looked at the historical data and found that no presidential candidate in history has ever been this far ahead in the national polls as Trump is at this point in the cycle and gone on to lose the nomination. And that Jonathan Carl pained him to say that he has turned into a vicious anti-Trumper. He used to be you know, leaning away from Trump, but Trump gave him great access. And that this time, this book just eviscerates him. And he's just so obsessed when you watch him host about how much he hates Trump. Uh, Bob Cusack joins us now, editor-in-chief of The Hill. Hey, Bob. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. What do you think about Jonathan Carl looking at these, uh, and a lot of people feel that way, maybe you do too, looking at these polls and thinking their results? Uh, well, yeah, you never know, uh, right? I mean, tr- you're right. I mean, Trump has such a uh, a huge lead. The media does want to race here. Um, so, 
Uh, Nikki Haley does have some momentum, but listen, I mean, she's going to have to do some serious damage in one of these early states, and Trump is, is winning all of the states right now. Uh, could Now, some pollsters have said, yes, he, uh, Trump's base, he's got a firm grip on it. Uh, others have said, uh, uh, including Mark Penn, has said, well, his, he's, yeah, he's got a big lead, but uh, some, of, some of his support is soft, and that's obviously what Nikki Haley is, and, and DeSantis are hoping for. And, of course, Christie, I don't see a real path to the nomination for Christie, uh, but he's still in it, of course. So I was amazed that I watched it over the weekend. You know, I, I was I have a bunch of events, things going on with the book, but I'm doing the best I can to watch and read. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing the size of the Trump crowd. And he's having a good time. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I guess they're not going to have much. You know, we covered it. We picked up some of it live. And I said, wow, this is pretty good for him. How are you going to say he doesn't have momentum when he has a crowd like that, emotion like that? And you see the Donald Trump smiling. Little did I know people were looking through the old Hitler speeches and seeing some catchphrases. So... People are saying that he sounds like a fascist because he said a few things that uh, result in, I guess, he talked about the poisoning uh, of our blood. But what he's trying to say in Trumpese is we are Americans. We have to guard our border. They're sending their prisoners in back on. They're not sending our best. What do you think about his choice of words and the way the media is playing it? Well, certainly Trump uh, does not give boring speeches, uh, and uh, along the way, as you know, Brian, he he, uh, he creates some controversies, and certainly he has a very contentious relationship with with the media. And I think sometimes the media is is uh, you know, should uh, kind of fire back at him. At other times, I think the media should should hold its fire because sometimes that just kind of reverberates and and uh, doesn't make the media look good when they're whining about. Uh, candidates are whining about anything. Um, and this is going to continue. I mean, it's going to be a very nasty election. Uh, 2024, the, the relationship between uh, Trump and the media is only going to get worse. But why, uh, why is that? I, I looked at that and I thought about that a second. Do you think at any moment they realize they had the January 6th trial and I don't love the way Trump la- acted after his election. I've said that a million times. January 6th, I don't think you need to make that speech. I got it. And But what happened after and the January 6th trial and then he, after the midterms and then his mounting his campaign back and the reaction to all the, to, to all the, court, uh, the court fights and the indictments, at one point, are they ever going to realize that nobody's listening, that he's actually more powerful there before and then maybe they can't dictate what the electorate thinks? Well, you'd hope so. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, we're at the at the hill. We we like to be the referees, and, and yeah. we don't care who's up or down. And but I, I do think, and I, honestly, I didn't think there was a bias in the media until I was in the uh, the media. You know, most uh, most uh, bankers are Republicans, and most journalists are Democrats. And and that doesn't mean all of them are biased. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, when you think about 2023, 2022 was a rough year for for Trump. Uh, polls show that he. Did not help Republican causes with either recruiting candidates. 2023 has been a great year for Trump. Uh, his his decision not to to participate in the debates has worked out, and he is he is gliding to the nomination. I, will there be some bumps? Yeah, there there always are some bumps. Will they will they be significant bumps? I I, I don't I don't know. I I don't think so. No, certainly not at this rate, unless the polls are completely wrong. Right, uh, which is always a chance. Uh, I want you to hear just – here's a cut from, from the speech. I think he went over an hour. Uh, you know what he does? He, I mean, they're basically at concerts. Cut 21. They're poisoning the blood of our country. That's what they've done. They poison mental institutions and 
prisons all over the world, not just in South America, not just the three or four countries that we think about, but all over the world they're coming into our country from Africa, from Asia, all over the world. So they say that those words and poisoning our blood of our country, those are from Hitler. The one thing, you can't have it both ways. Either he's somebody that doesn't know anything about our history and is not that smart, or he's somebody that goes back through World War II and thinks, these are some of the great speeches that Hitler used that maybe I can use. You can't have it both ways. Yeah, no, no I, I see your point. And, and listen, you know, if you look at, at polls, uh, and specifically on, on the border, you have a number of Democrats, especially now in blue areas, because the whole tactic of Republicans uh, sending migrants to, to blue cities uh, – you know they they're realizing the the pressure and and you have Democrats on the border uh, Senator Mark Kelly from Arizona very critical uh, of of the Biden administration and that's why and I I do believe them you know sometimes Republicans say like on the when they shut down the government and trying to get rid of Obamacare is a terrible strategy didn't work they're not going to cave they they're they're going to have to get something on the border in order to do these other fiscal deals whether it's the foreign policy bill. Uh, or whether it's keeping the government open. I, I don't think they're going to cave because polls show that, that, that most people agree with Republicans. Uh, Bob Cusack, our guest from The Hill. So here's Ron DeSantis. He's trying to turn it up a notch. And, Bob, you know the deal. And outside Chris Christie, you attack Trump, but you agree with him on two. The bottom line is Haley and DeSantis agree with Trump probably two-thirds of the time on almost all the policies. Some of their criticisms of his of his four-year term about not finishing the wall and not draining the swamp, I don't think, I don't think have much resonance. But here's what DeSantis took a bit of a risk, I think, in Concord, New Hampshire. Cut 23. If Trump loses, he will say it's stolen no matter what. Absolutely. He will, he will, he will try to delegitimize the results. Uh, he did that against Ted Cruz in 2016, um, and he will do that. I mean, even when, like, the apprentice didn't get an Emmy, he said. <laughs> he said so, so I think I don't think there's been a single time he's ever been in competition for something where he didn't get it, where he has where he's accepted. Okay. Uh, I'm saying okay, this is you know, you, you have the Trump, I don't want to offend his people, but that's that's something that you do think to yourself. Even Trump fans say he does have a trouble ever accepting losing. Yeah, uh, and, and certainly, you know, DeSantis has really struggled in trying to to make the case. He has uh, of you know, I, yeah, I liked Trump policies, but but vote for me, and I'm the one who could beat Biden. But that doesn't really work when you're getting pounded by Trump uh, in the primary. And now, now Haley can certainly point to to some polls that show uh, recent ones that show her double digits on on Joe Biden. The problem, though, is. Donald Trump may not be up double digits on Biden, depending on what poll you look at, but he's definitely beating uh, Joe Biden. CNN had a recent poll where Biden's losing Michigan by by ten points. So that is that's a stunning result, and, and and that's so so I understand the whole hey we want to win, um, but at the same time it's not like Trump is losing to Biden now he's winning. So a couple of things. Do you know what Jen Psaki said over the weekend? And not only yeah, I think she does a really good job as press secretary, but also her contacts to the White House are strong. And she said they like that Trump is beating Biden in the polls because they want to put the fear in the Democrats to say, you may like not like Joe, but democracy is over and Trump can win. He is winning, almost saying, what choice do you have? Our country will fall apart if he and he'll never leave if he gets the job. So that fear is real. 
How do you, what do you think about that resonance? And you know the, the mindset of a, of a voter. If, would a Democrat run to Joe Biden even though he can't run, even though he can't <laughs> physically run? Yeah, no, I mean, it's certainly it, it, this is Joe Biden is the underdog. Joe Biden uh, is not really embracing the underdog status, at least himself. He's saying, I'm going to beat Trump. I think that's a wrong approach. I, I think I think you got to embrace the underdog. Um, you know, if you're the underdog, you got to admit it. Barack Obama said he was the underdog a year before his reelection win. And he was he was really struggling, ran a very good campaign. Uh, Romney could have run a better campaign and, and didn't. And, and Obama won. And, and this president, you know, I, I think they're going to have to shift where where they're talking more like Saki because they've got to get people out there and just assuming. I mean, listen, Joe Biden won in 2020. He barely won. COVID is over. He's going to have to campaign. He can't. He's older now. This is a, this is a hey, problem hey, for Biden. Bob, Bob, it's it's not one of those things where he's not good at it. He's not capable. I mean, they said to him at the end of the year, is going to be an end of the year press conference. Now, think about it. You got two major uh, conflicts brewing. Ukraine yeah. and Israel, you got a major package that needs to be cut. You have to set a tone from what you want to do by the first week in January, second week. And then you have the always the threat of China, and then you want to win re-election. Basically, yeah. you saw KJP yeah. run from that statement. I don't think he's going to do that. He did a press conference the other day. He said, well, that was two questions with another world leader. I don't know. You don't know? What president doesn't want his thoughts on a re-election year in everyone's head, come Christmas time. Yeah, it's it's hard to use a bully pulpit to your advantage if you're not using it at all, uh, and, and they're really not using it that much. And you know, this is something that. Listen, we talked to, to senators and congressmen. I mean, they on both sides of the aisle. They're saying we need to have Biden get more involved in in these negotiations on the border and keeping the government open. That's the only way we're going to get uh, things done. Right. And you'd think you'd want to use the bully pulpit for. For Ukraine aid and and, and uh, but he has not been and this is another thing that the the media has gotten wrong or they, they don't talk about much is that Donald Trump was a lot more accessible uh, than than Joe Biden in his presidency. Right. The first time I interviewed Donald Trump and Trump Tower when he was a candidate, they said, hey, "Okay, you have 15 minutes," and then they gave us 80 minutes because <laughs> we were tough but fair. But I mean, the, you know. And that year, Hillary Clinton, we we tried to sit down with her, but but she never wanted to sit down with us, and and that was a mistake. You have to go for the presidency, even if you're running I, for real. I hear you. You got to go for it. You can't Absolutely. play it safe. And by the way, if you, you know what, I always found out Vince McMahon uh, in the middle of the steroid scandal when I first started out, I go to do an interview with him. You know what? He grabbed my arm, and I said, "Listen, yeah. I grew up watching you, and I remember these Bugsy McGraw and and uh, Ivan Putsky and Bruno San Martino." And as we're walking to the studio, he grabbed my arm. He said, don't be easy with me. You hmm. know why? Because he thought he had the answers to the whole steroid scandal, which I'm sure no one remembers. But I, that back then, he was afraid I was going to make – he's basically saying, you're wasting my time if you give me an e- – if you don't ask me direct questions. And I, hmm. that always stays in the back of my mind, that if you have the answers, you want the tough questions. Uh, yep. So just I thought I'd bring that up. Maybe and it's no, a nice And he is one of the rare politicians who actually – uh, answers direct questions. Uh, you know, he he will he will you know he will he will he will say yes or no, uh, and and that's that's where I think DeSantis and and Christie's hit DeSantis on this. He has not been clear as a politician. You have to be clear, and anytime you hear a politician say I've been clear about this, they've been anything but. That's why they have to say I've been clear about it because they haven't been clear. Trump is is clear on where he stands on most issues. Right. 
I got two things. We know about the Freedom Caucus and the the the, uh, the, uh, the chaos with the Republicans. I just spent a, a half hour or an hour with Kevin McCarthy over the weekend, so I even got the inside and outside story to it. I got it. But the Demo- you cannot be in this, uh, be an observer and see what's going on with the Democrats. They're divided on Israel. Now they're divided on a massive border change when it comes to asylum rules. Listen to Joaquin Castro and Congresswoman Jayapal. Cut one. I want to speak quickly to the Democrats in the Senate and others who are considering supporting this proposal. If you do so, you will be surrendering to right-wing racism. And more than that, you will be enabling it. Senate Democrats and the White House must not agree to these extreme demands. Listen, 70 percent of the country think the border's falling apart. But they are, that's not them, too. I mean, that is a portion of the Democratic Party who thinks if you stop someone at the border, you're a racist. How do you deal yeah, with that, that if you're Joe Biden? How do you deal with that? That, that kind of rhetoric, and it's only going to intensify in, in, in 2024. You know, this is something that because of those stats, 70 percent, you know, and, and I think that Trump is going to do a better job. I don't think uh, he did a very good job in 2020 trying to reach out to independents. I think that's going to change in 2024. Biden won the presidency because of independence. A deal at the border of changing immigration law uh, would actually help uh, Joe Biden. So it's going to be interesting to see if he, if he takes on the left and those Democrats who you just played, uh, because if he doesn't, some people think that that is just going to ensure his uh, his loss uh, in a year. Interesting stuff, right, Bob? It's going to be a fantastic year. I appreciate it. Appreciate you coming on. Hey, thanks, Brian. Have you a great it. Christmas. You got it. We're going to wrap up this hour in just a moment. And if there's some, yep, uh, there's some calls up there, so we'll get to them. Uh, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, so over the weekend, we've never, Allison uh, Mansfield is working, but uh, she's not in the studio today. Uh, but Allison and I and uh, Rick and Pat, who always do the stage performances, stage shows with us at Fox Nation sponsors, really America great from the start, able to go through a, some of my sports books, the inspirational moments that I was able to chronicle in the games do count and it's how you play the game. And then I segue over to the war on history and I want to win it. And I just talk about our past and how significant it is and how great it is and how proudful, prideful we should be of it. These people were before us and I have a great time on stage. But it was unbelievable amount of travel. So we had to fly out of here. We get over to uh, Pittsburgh. We get over there. We get right on stage, do a two-and-a-half-hour show, meet a bunch of people before, uh, sign every book after. Then we get up right in the morning, and then we got to fly to the next city. I'm not complaining, just siding. At which time we got to switch two planes. We had to go over to um, beautiful Holland, Michigan. And once we get there, we still have an hour drive from the airport. And we get there, we have about a half hour to get ready. Next thing you know, we're doing the VIP and greet, and we're doing everything else. And then after that, we go sign books at the end. So it's a fantastic night. Then we go get dinner with Crystal from One Nation was there, too. Got to meet her husband. I fully approve, uh, and I'm sure that's a relief to them. And then we get up the next morning, and then we go over to Wichita, uh, and we're able to see our great affiliate out in Wichita, KQAM, and we have a fantastic time. But then we got to quickly get out of there, and we know the storm is coming so we get one one plane, no problem. We get to it. I, I know I'm one thing. I have to try to get to work and get home 
before 12 o'clock because I got to get up at 2.30 in the morning. So we quickly switched to LaGuardia from Newark, and I said I could probably, if I can get home by 11.30, that's so much better than 12.30, which means I wouldn't have slept at all. So at which time I have to get a connection, and we go to pull up, and we land about five minutes late, and we just sit. We've all happened to all of us. They can't get a runway. And when they finally do get a runway 15 minutes ago, I got a board in 30 minutes. And then when we finally pull up, they cannot line up the jet bridge. The jet bridge can't, and they're both blaming each other. The, the pilot's blaming them because he said they were supposed to move up. This guy's saying he can't work it. Then he's saying he doesn't normally do it. I can't believe this is happening. I am asking the flight attendant uh, to do me a favor. Can you call and say I'll be coming? It says it would be no difference. They'll never wait for you. So finally I get out. I have 15 I have 10 minutes in Atlanta to get through three gates. I got to wait for the train and I get there. It's impossible to look cool running with a backpack knowing that a lot of these people recognize me as doubling embarrassing. When I finally get there they're actually announcing my name, Brian Kilmeade last call. I literally got in and they closed the door behind me. And that's why I'm here today. Thanks for listening. I feel better now. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.